Let's pray before the, the preaching and the hearing the Word of God preached. Our Father in heaven, we confess many of us have come out from the world after a very long week. And yet here we are on this Sabbath day, the best day of the week, here to, by the help of your Holy Spirit, bless your name. Father, we confess we are weak. We are weary. By nature, we are wretched sinners, and still yet in Christ, we do not listen as we ought. We do not hear as we ought. But Father, you have given us grace. You have given us the Holy Spirit. And so we pray that as we hear the word preached, that we might receive it not merely as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God at work in us for our salvation. We ask for the help of your Holy Spirit even now that this word may profit our souls unto the praise of your glorious grace through Christ our King, our sinless King, who unlike the kings of Israel always did what was right in the eyes of God, who has subdued us, having conquered all of his and our enemies. Through Christ, our all-sufficient King, we pray. Amen. Well, our text this morning is James. James chapter 1. Here is the infallible, the inerrant, and the inspired word of God. Verse 1 to verse 4. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I think we all would agree that the Christian life is full of trials. The Apostle Paul said, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Some of you came here this morning after a week of various kinds of trials. Many of you are undergoing trial at work. Stress is heightening. Trial in your marriage with your children. Some of you are being tested physically. The body is in pain. The body is, is worn out. Test results are uncertain, perhaps. And some of you are being challenged financially. The bills keep adding up and living expenses are rising. Income is declining. Perhaps you're wondering, in the midst of all this trial, what is, what is God doing? But as the Christian life is full of trial all the more the Christian life is to be full of reminders. We all need to be reminded. 
We need to be reminded of what we are called to do when under trial because it's so easy to forget what we must do. Some of this has to do with an incorrect thinking about trials, what it means to count it all joy. You know, some Christians have assumed that what is called for here is a pretending that all is well in the face of trial. I want you to listen to Dr. Scott Swain. He provides a very helpful illustration of what it means to count it all joy in the face of trial. He says, we often think of the heart as if it were a cup. And sometimes we have negative emotions that fill that cup. When we read in scripture, count it all joy or fear not, he says, we think that maybe we're supposed to pour out the bad emotions, and to pour in good emotions. But that's not what the scripture is after, and that's not how the heart works. He goes on, scripture understands that the heart is is not a cup, which we can just pour out negative emotions and pour good ones into. The heart is more like a balance scale. When trials come our way, they give us real reasons for sorrow that weigh down our hearts. But when James and other authors of scripture encourage us to count it all joy, what they're trying to do is give us counterweights. Counterweights. They're trying to give us other reasons to rejoice even as we bear the sorrows of our trials. So I want you to keep that imagery in mind here. As we come to this text, think of the call to count it all joy as the call to put those trials on the balance scale of your heart. The call to perfect joy even as you sorrow right now Perhaps that scale may be tipped over to the sorrow side. But what we're going to do is lay upon our minds, lay upon our hearts the counterweight of these eternal truths. So that even as we sorrow, like the Apostle Paul who had anxiety for the churches, like the Lord Jesus who wept the night of his betrayal, even as we sorrow, we do just this. By grace, we can rejoice. You see, to count it all joy is to balance the scale of our heart so that as we sorrow, because of how God is working, we can rejoice. So the main point of our text this morning is this. When you meet it, count it, because God is working in it. We're going to handle this main point under four headings. First, when you meet it, Count it because God is testing you for a real faith. God is testing you for a real faith. That's verse 3, beginning of verse 3. Second, when you meet it, count it because God is growing you for a steadfast faith. God is growing you for a steadfast faith. That's the second half of verse 3. Third, when you meet it, count it, because God is perfecting you for a wise faith. God is perfecting you for a wise faith. That's verse 4. And then finally, taking verse 4 and verse 12 together, when you meet it, count it, because God is preparing you for a rewarded faith. God is preparing you for a rewarded faith. So we see how the the whole sermon is just unfolding that one main point. When you meet it, count it, because God is working in it. 
First, God is testing you for a real faith. James says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith, this is the first reason you need to put on the scale of your heart even as you sorrow so that you can rejoice. And what is it? James says, for you know that the testing of your faith. He's telling the believers who are reading his letter and us this morning, the first reason you have to rejoice is that God is testing you for a real faith. Now you might wonder how in the world is that a comfort? How can that be love? But we need to remember that God's love is not a feeling and nothing more. God's love is not like our love. As one writer put it, the goodness and kindness of God are his love. So God's love is not a roller coaster of emotion, but a perfection. God's love is not a passion, but an action. So when God disciplines those he loves, God rebukes those he loves. God tests those he loves. It's the kindness and goodness of God and nothing less. Listen to the second London Confession, chapter 17, verse 1. Our confession reads, The sensible sight of the light and love of God, it may for a time be clouded and obscured from them. Yet he is still the same, and they shall be sure to be kept by the power of God unto salvation. Now that's a comfort. Even as the Lord tests you for a real faith, his love for you doesn't change. Listen to Proverbs 3, 11 through 12, as quoted in Hebrews chapter 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord proves him, reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. You see, the Lord tests those whom he loves. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 32. But when we are judged, Paul says, by the Lord, and this is within the context of examining ourselves as we participate in the Lord's Supper. He says, when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the Lord. The judgment Paul is referring to in this passage is not a judgment of condemnation, but a judgment of discipline. But the Lord tests those he loves, and he tests them to assure them that their faith is real. Listen to 1 Peter Having just spoken of our salvation by God's power, he says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Just think about it. If you do not have real faith and you're undergoing trial, that trial is just what? A foretaste of eternal misery. And the greater tragedy would be to deliver you from that trial and leave you thinking that you are right with God when in fact you're not. But God tests his children because he loves his children and to assure them, he tests you so that you can look at your faith, that gift of his grace, and rest assured that your faith is real. Rest assured that God is working to preserve that gift of his grace. You see, a faith that remains under trial is a mark of a real faith that God has given and that he preserves. Let that truth of God's work in your trial counterbalance 
your sorrow. Let that truth of God's work in your trial lead you to rejoice. God is testing you, but he's testing you because he loves you. And he's testing you to assure you that your faith is real. So when you meet it, count it, because God is testing you for a real faith. But Paul, uh, James here doesn't stop there. At the same time, he goes on, when you meet it, you must count it because God is growing you in a steadfast faith. James writes, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Here we learn that God is at work in your trial, growing you in a steadfast faith. Ferguson comments on the word steadfast here. He writes, it has at its root the idea, the picture, of having the ability to remain under something, a weight or a burden of some kind. It's the ability to take the strain and remain standing under a load that would crush you. So you see, the Christian who is growing in steadfast faith doesn't collapse under trial. They are like an Olympic weightlifter that snatches and raises a heavy-laden bar over their head until it's the judge who has signaled a successful lift. But the point James is stressing here is not steadfastness in and of itself. Yes, God is working the grace of steadfastness in you, but he is also working in you what follows from steadfastness. As we learned a moment ago, God is testing us for a real faith. And a steadfast faith is proof. It's proof of a real faith. A steadfast faith then is the grace. It's the grace that leads to all other graces of Christian character. And we see this in Romans 5, verses 3 through 4. Listen, he says, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Now that's the synonym for steadfastness. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. So you see, the reason why James highlights steadfastness is because it reminds us that all the other graces are the result of endless hours of testing, Endless hours of testing and more testing, stress and more stress, years of consistent strength training. Now, this doesn't mean it's not painful. This doesn't mean we rejoice in the pain itself. But this does mean that this is what God is working in us. This is what God is doing for us in the stress. This is what God is doing for you in the trial, growing you in steadfast faith that issues in all the other graces of Christian character, that issues in the kind of character we find in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when you meet it, when you meet that trial, you must count it all joy because God is growing you for a steadfast faith. But James doesn't stop there. He continues, he knows that one of the first temptations in trial is to what? To give up or suggest we have been tried enough to respond to the trial perhaps in a manner contrary to his word. And so he continues to remind us, third, when you meet it, count it because God is perfecting you for a wise faith. Verse four, 
James writes, And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. James tells us to let steadfastness, let that steadfast weightlifting, this strength training, this remaining under have its full effect. These words have also been translated as letting it have its perfect work. The idea is that you don't stop. You don't let in. You continue to grow in steadfast faith. You continue to trust in the God who has brought you into trial until the very finish. Why? James says that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. This phrase in one sense concerns the present and in another sense concerns the future. In one sense, perfect and complete, lacking in nothing concerns right now. If you look at James chapter 1, verse 5, James makes it plain that lacking in nothing does not mean sinless perfection. He exhorts the Christian there to ask for wisdom when they lack it. So in a sense, James is exhorting us to continue to be steadfast under trial because God is working to perfect us for a wise faith right now. If we are to find joys in our trials now, it is because God gives his people wisdom in the trial now. Wisdom is the right application of knowledge. It's discerning what we need to do in light of what is true. So when James speaks here of continuing to be steadfast, his encouragement is that while you remain under trial, God is indeed perfecting you for a wise faith. God is teaching you what to do. God is making you into a well-rounded, well-balanced, well-equipped Christian. This may mean sticking it out or pursuing a better condition. We don't want to misunderstand that we can indeed pursue a better condition when under particular trials. But a wise faith while pursuing a better condition, a wise faith assesses one's motivation. You know that phrase, the grass is greener on the other side. That's not always the case. And no relief from a trial is going to give us what we truly need. What is our greatest need? But to know Christ. And this knowing, this this learning, this is progressive until the very end of our lives. So that the less you lack and the more you're given to live in light of the gospel. Listen to J.C. Rao. He wrote this, the gospel, he says, was not meant merely to reside in our intellect, memories, and tongues, but to be seen in our lives. God is perfecting you for a wise faith that that you may adorn the gospel. So let this truth balance the scale of your heart in sorrow. God has not forsaken you. God has not hidden himself from you, but as his word says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach. And what's the promise? It will be given to you. Come. Christ by his spirit preaches now. Come and ask the Lord for wisdom. So that when you meet it, you may count it. 
because God is perfecting you for a wise faith. At the same time, in another sense, perfect and complete, uh, that language of lacking in nothing should remind us of the future. Not only right now, but the future. James knows that we can be a forgetful people, that sometimes our perspective is jaded. And it's not only because of wrong thinking, but because we are so caught up in the present. So caught up in right here and right now that we forget to look ahead. But not only is God perfecting you for a wise faith now, while you're under trial. Here we are reminded of our hope. That God is preparing you for a rewarded faith later, after you have stood the test of trial. Fourth, when you meet it, count it. Because God is preparing you for a rewarded faith. That's verse 4 and verse 12. A few verses down in verse 12, we see James gives us an important beatitude as we remain under trial. He says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Trials aren't pleasant. Trials are evil. But as one commentator said, God makes what hurts productive. As one writer said, this makes all the difference in the world. And it makes all the difference in the world to come. So far, we have briefly meditated on the true reality that God is at work for us in our trials. God is testing us for a real faith. He's growing us for a steadfast faith. He's perfecting us for a wise faith. And here we learn that he is preparing us for a rewarded faith. It's here we are reminded that with the trial comes a promise. The promise is a crown of life with no more sin, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more stress, no more trial or trouble. Why? Because the crown of life will be given and that life is eternal. The promise here, the fullness of blessing here is the sinless and trialless life with God forever. And this is what he will award to all who love him. Here's another reason to count it all joy under trial because trials may be your life now, but it won't be your life later. Today is not the end. Tomorrow is not forever. We can weep and rejoice here and now because our promise of reward is God himself. The life of God is in the soul of every believer, but the fullness of blessing is hindered by our sin. It's hindered by this fallen world we live in. But one day, one day we will experience life that is truly life. My friends, you've probably heard it said that this is not your home. But I ask you this morning, do you believe that? Do you believe the word of God? Christ by his spirit is speaking. God is speaking to us this morning and he is saying when you meet trials, count it all joy because I am working in your life. But do you trust me? He is saying to you, place my promise on the scale of your heart and your trials will seem light in comparison. 2 Corinthians 4.17, Paul says, so we do not lose 
heart. Though our outward self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things of this world, to the things that are seen, but we look to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Where are you looking this morning? My friends, look to the Lord Jesus Christ. Look to the Lord who is your reward. If you do this when you meet it, you will count it. Because God is preparing you for a rewarded faith. Charles Spurgeon exhorted from this beatitude, he said, it is promised to love, but it is given to endurance. It is the love of God which spies out our love and rewards it, but rewards it partly by trying it and then ultimately by bringing forth the Stephanos, the crown. He says, men ran for a crown in the Greek games and could not win the crown without running. So doth God give to them that run a crown, but not without the running. He giveth to them first the privilege of suffering for his name's sake and then of being rewarded for it. And what is that reward from beginning to end? That reward is God himself. I want to leave you with three expanded applications. Three expanded applications. First, your response in trials can be the assurance of a real, steadfast, wise, and rewarded faith or the evidence of a false, lazy, foolish, and punished faith. I'll say that again. Your response in trials can be the assurance of a real, steadfast, wise, and rewarded faith or the evidence of a false, lazy, foolish, and punished faith. While this passage is a great comfort due to God's working in us through trial, it is a great warning. James wants his readers to examine themselves. And we must examine ourselves this morning. What is the pattern of our attitude in trial? Perhaps ask someone who knows you well, ask them these questions. First, do you observe a real faith that sorrows and rejoices, that begs for grace to be humble in the hard times? Or do you observe a false faith that only sorrows and loses patience with God and with others? Do you observe a real faith that sorrows and rejoices, that begs for grace to be humble in the hard times? Or do you observe a false faith that only sorrows and loses patience with God and with others. Do you observe a faith, second question, observe a faith that is lazy, loses heart, gives in to discontent, and collapses under trial, or that looks to and rests in the steadfastness of Christ and lives after his pattern? Do you observe a faith that is lazy, loses heart, gives into discontent and collapses under trial or that looks to and rests in the steadfastness of Christ 
and lives after his pattern. Another question for all of us. Do you observe a faith that foolishly complains and grumbles, worries and ignores asking for wisdom and prayer? Or a faith that humbly trusts in the Lord through the pain while begging him for wisdom to discern what to do? Do you observe a faith that foolishly complains and grumbles, worries and ignores asking for wisdom and prayer? Or a faith that humbly trusts in the Lord through the pain while begging him for wisdom to discern what to do? We're examining the pattern of our lives here. The last question here is, do you observe a faith that looks ahead to that eternal reward of perfect blessedness with the Lord our God forever? Or a faith that regularly focuses on the here and now, that treats this life as if all there is and is headed for eternal punishment? Do you observe a faith that looks ahead to that eternal reward of perfect blessedness with the Lord our God? Or a faith that regularly focuses on the here and now, treating this life as if this is all there is and is headed for eternal punishment? I know these questions take time to sit upon our hearts and it may be uncomfortable. But God is calling all of us this morning to examine ourselves, to examine what the pattern is in our lives. All of us fall short. We are great sinners, but we have a great Savior. The Lord gives grace that we may follow more and more after his pattern. So the first application in here is your response in trials can be the assurance of a real, steadfast, wise, and rewarded faith or the evidence of a false, lazy, foolish, and punished faith. Second application is that the ultimate reason and counterweight to count it all joy in trials is that our unchanging God is with us. We hear that. But again, do you believe that? The God who does not change, the God who is not like us, but who loves us in the Son, is always with you. I think it's the last, um, this comes to mind, the last, oh, right here, James, Hebrews. Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13, verse Five and six. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? In the original language, in verse five, there's four or five negatives when he says what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The English Spurgeon has said, it's as if the, right, the preacher to the Hebrews is saying, I will never, 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 never leave you. The Lord will never leave you. Do you believe that?
One theologian said, the one who stands behind all things, including our trials, the one who stands at the end of all things, including our trials, and the one who is with us in all things, yes, including our trials, is the unchanging father of lights. The father of lights with whom there is no variation, no shadow due to change, who brought us forth through his word that we might be the first fruits of his creatures, from whom every good and perfect gift descends. This is our God. The one who is working in the trial to test you and grow you and perfect you and prepare you is with you every moment in this life, in every trial, until he takes you home. And he, if he is for you, you know the answer. Who can be against you? If he has saved you, then what trial can destroy you? If he loves you, what trouble can disturb your joy? The ultimate reason and counterweight to count it all joy in trials is that our unchanging God is with us. And he will never, 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 never leave you. (coughs) Lastly, coupled with this is Christ's, our Lord. Jesus Christ, his example to us. Turn back to Hebrews chapter 12. A familiar text, but a glorious text. Verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. But how do we run? Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The preacher to the Hebrews continues. He says, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Are you weary? Are you faint-hearted? Consider him. Verse 4, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Remember Christ is your pattern. Remember what was spoken earlier. Though our trials may be in pain, it is not a foretaste of eternal misery. Why? Because Christ has swallowed it up at the cross. We sang, a mighty fortress is our God. I was thinking of how, how many trials Martin Luther faced. So when he writes, when, when kindred go, that's personal. He had loved ones leave him. What was his pattern? Christ and his cross. It's perhaps no greater pain than losing one you love. And yet that is not the sting of eternal misery. The ultimate example to counter all joy and trials is our Lord Jesus Christ, who counted all joy as he endured the cross so that we can count it all joy in our troubles until he takes us home. I leave you with Calvin. 
He writes, It is indeed certain that all the senses of our nature are so formed that every trial produces in us grief and sorrow, and no one of us can so far divest himself of his nature as not to grieve and be sorrowful whenever he feels any evil. But this does not prevent the children of God to rise by the guidance of the Spirit above the sorrow of the flesh. Hence it is that in the midst of trouble, he says, they cease not to rejoice. My brothers and sisters, you may be under trial now, but the Lord our God is with you. Many of you are in trial now, and some of you will be in trial later. But remember, when you meet it, count it, because God is working in it. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, our God, we, we hear your word. We hear you speak. We examine ourselves. We confess we have often grown weary, tired, and have forgotten these very precious truths. We ask that you would forgive us, that you would cleanse us, by the blood and righteousness of your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the assurance of pardon that we have one who has gone before us, who has perfectly endured trial to the point of death, even death on a cross, to save us, to save us from our sins, to save us from the wrath to come, so that no trial, no trial, no matter how difficult, is a foretaste of eternal misery. Lord, grant us grace to remember that you are working for our good, even as you are working for your glory. Strengthen and encourage and comfort my brothers and sisters so that as we leave here, we may meet every trial, counting it all joy by the help of your Holy Spirit. Through Christ, who is all our righteousness, our confidence, our hope, our refuge, our strength, through Christ, we pray. Amen.